Hey everyone and welcome back to my podcast. I'm really excited about today's episode because it's been requested quite a bit and it's honestly just a really good topic to discuss because it is not one where we can like easily get like full-scale studies on. A lot of it is a matter of opinion and also just doing typical logic in terms of mechanics and just really critically looking at things. Anyways, that topic that I am going to discuss today is tech and equipment and just my opinions on like bits and different types of training gadgets and what I think is fair to the horse and what I think should be used and things that I think shouldn't be used because they're misused far too often to reasonably endorse from an ethicality standpoint. And I think this is an important topic of conversation to have because at its core, a lot of what we use on horses is about our convenience. So when we're catering to our own convenience, it means that we're less likely to look at how the horse thinks and feels about whatever we're doing. And if it makes something that we want to do easier, we're less likely to really look at it critically and be like, hmm, is this actually going to yield the best result for my horse? How does this make my horse feel physically? And what is this thing actually doing? Why does it work? We don't really think that way. If something works, it's far too common for horse people to just go, oh, it works because the horse likes it. And that's seldom the case, I would say, is that they actually like physically like it rather than just being like indifferent or just okay with it, you know? So anyways, that's today's topic and we can just go into a variety of different things. What I am going to do is this is just the intro. So I've asked a question for people to send me in certain like prompts in terms of equipment and stuff that they'd like me to discuss. And then I'll read from those and also include some of my own thoughts and opinions and equipment that other people may not have mentioned. But anyways, this will be a fun episode and I'm sure it's bound to kind of make people a little feel a little attacked because I'm sure like the odds of me talking about something that someone who listens to this uses are pretty high. So with that said, just remember that none of this is like in a personal attack on you. It's just a means of creating conversation and having people just consider how they are using something. And maybe, maybe something I say will make you look at it and be like, hmm, there's something different that I could use that would be better in this situation. Or hmm, I never thought about that. If I'm going to keep using this, maybe I should be more careful and I should be really careful who I recommend it to because I can't trust other people to use it in the same manner that I have. And that's kind of just the purpose of these topics. None of this is an attack. It's my opinions that I have kind of developed over my years riding and working with horses, both professionally and before I was ever a professional, and just trial and error. Like I said in my last podcast, most of the stuff I talk about on here, I've actually been guilty of at one point, even if I'm condemning it now. And the reason why I feel a certain way in the horse world now is because of experience, trial and error, making mistakes, realizing that what I did was unfair, and then changing and developing as a result. So largely, I'm equally as guilty as anyone listening to this is. It's just a matter of I've been in the industry long enough that I made the change. But honestly, there's things that I went on doing for years and years and years that I've now realized that just weren't good. Um, and it's totally okay to change and develop as you learn more. So I really respect anyone who does that. And even just being willing to listen to other people's opinions and being curious about them, that's really honorable in horse ownership. And like, honestly, anything where you're working with other people or animals where you need to consider the opinions and feelings of another living creature. So anyways, we're going to get going on this after like after this intro, I'm just going to play some of my ads and 
yeah, I hope that you really enjoy this topic because it is something that is applicable to every single horse rider ever because unless you've ridden tackless from the day you came out of the womb, you've probably used some type of equipment on your horse. And yeah, so thank thank you for coming back to Making Milestones podcast. I really appreciate all of your support and I super appreciate all of you guys who listen and leave me comments and share my podcast for your friends to listen to. It all means so much because like at its core, this is just me rambling for like an hour straight. And the fact that people resonate with that and share it is something that really means a lot to me. And I really appreciate your support. So thank you so much. And now I'll I'll let our ads take over just for a minute. So I suppose one of the first topics to cover would be bits and bitless because these are like the two main things that we'd put on a horse's face to control them and communicate with them when while you're riding. And there is such a great variety in terms of equipment that you can use whether you want to ride bitted or bitless. There is so many different pieces of equipment that you can use for that. And The wealth of equipment, I feel like, is honestly one of the driving factors behind people's, like, level of desensitization to it because there's so many different options and you'll get people that have ridden their horses in, like, 15 different bits and change their bits regularly and they'll use, like, one type of bit for this and another type for that and have, like, a show bit, a schooling bit, a bit that they use for trail rides, a bit that they use for jumping and so on and so forth. And with, like, the sheer number of options, it means that it's kind of overwhelming for a lot of people so that they don't necessarily look into things and if something is suggested enough they just assume it's good um i mentioned this in one of my previous podcasts that when i was showing arabs the types of bits that i would use on a regular basis were much worse than what i use now i would ride in like a really really thin twisted wire snaffle which like it's still a snaffle but super super harsh and i think that's one of the most common misconceptions about snaffles is that a snaffle like a lot of people think snaffle just means a soft bit when that's honestly not really the case the snaffle the term snaffle really just refers to the fact that there's no leverage on a bit and that it's a direct contact from the cheek piece to the rein like you're not going to pull on the rein and have a shank there to amplify the contact so that doesn't really leave any room to discuss the mouthpiece because when you're referring to snaffle you're just referring to the action of the reins on the bit itself you're not referring to how the mouthpiece kind of inflicts the action from the reins on the horse's mouth and the mouthpiece of a snaffle can drastically change how harsh it is like for example a smooth like regular single jointed snaffle a lot of people's concern about that would be the nutcracker effect but the nutcracker effect won't happen if you're using your hands correctly and at an angle that is correct use for the bit if you have your hands way too low or like way too high up you're more likely to kind of change the angle and have the single joint either poke down into the tongue or come up at the roof of the mouth but as a general rule if you're using your hands properly that shouldn't be your main concern for me personally I'm not the biggest fan of single jointed snaffles just because I find that double jointed ones conform to the mouth a little bit more and it erases like any risk of the nutcracker effect happening so I I just personally don't use them because I don't see the point in them like for my own horses I'll ride in clients horses with them but yeah, like for me, I'm just like, if I can have it double broken, why wouldn't I type thing? 
But anyways, the smooth mouthpieces don't have like an abrasive tendency. They don't have any like curved or twisted parts of it that create additional pressure points and kind of isolate the pressure onto smaller parts of the mouth, like smaller pieces of skin, like you would with like the twisted wire ones. The twists isolate pressure onto a smaller amount of surface area, which means that when the pressure does act on those areas, it's going to be stronger than it would if it was like flat and laying over a bigger surface area to kind of make the pressure more distributed. So that's how twisted wire and like slow twist mouthpieces work is they're creating additional pressure points and also like an abrasive material because the wire, like the twisted mouthpieces, it's not flat. So anytime you pull or seesaw, there's different grooves and like severities that are acting on the horse's mouth at any given time instead of it just being smooth it'd be kind of like comparing like a butter knife to a steak knife you could press down pretty hard with a butter knife on your hand and it wouldn't necessarily hurt that much although they are pretty thin so the pressure again would be more localized and it would hurt more than if you had like a spoon pressed down with more surface area covering it But with a steak knife, since it's serrated and there's differing pressure points because of that, it would automatically be harsher than a butter knife would if you were to press it down on skin because of that. And that's kind of like what a twisted wire mouthpiece is, even though it's obviously not as sharp as a knife would be. But the purpose of it is to use the abrasion from the twisted components of it to get the horse to soften quicker. So When you pull back with a smooth mouthpiece, there's not the same amount of pressure points. If a horse has a harder mouth and they've not been trained to soften, they're more likely to resist it because it's not painful in the same way if they don't. With that said, if you get louder and louder with your hands, even in a smooth mouthpiece, the horse will be uncomfortable the more it resists but it's not going to be to the same extent as they can with a twisted wire mouthpiece because if they resist and they resist and you keep pulling back you have these little grooves that are just pushing harder and harder into their mouths and are there to create more abrasion and more localized pressure which means the horse has to yield to it sooner because the pressure will increase and get increasingly uncomfortable the more you pull back and that is just with a snaffle that's not even talking about the fact that sometimes these mouthpieces are connected to a shank which amplifies the pressure per pull because of the shank compared to what it would with a snaffle so in my opinion i think that when you're training a horse to be soft you want you want them to seek the bit because if they're hiding from the bit in the way that a twisted wire encourages they're resisting to the pressure pulled on the bit. They're not going to stick their nose out and seek the contact in the same way you'd want a horse when you're like asking them to go long and low and stretch out. And just in general, like seeking the bit doesn't mean they're leaning on the bridle. It just means that they're wanting to be on the contact rather than trying to avoid the contact. And to have a horse going around properly, you do want them to seek the bit and not be afraid of like the consequences of the bit, which is very hard to do with a twisted wire because if it's ever mishandled, which honestly, largely like the reason why people use them is to try to get a horse softer by using the mechanics of the bit rather than training them to be soft. Like they're literally using the bit to be like, yeah, the horse is going to be afraid to lean on this more because it hurts more if they do. So we'll use the bit to get them to soften rather than training exercises to get them to soften. So I think at its core, something like that is created to be misused because the people who would use it correctly aren't typically the ones driven to use it in the first place. And that's the thing that people need to notice is that like a lot of people's favorite thing to say is the bit is only as harsh as the hands, which to an extent is true, but you can't ignore the mechanics of the bit itself. If the bit is created to be harsh, it is a harsh bit, even if you have good hands. 
and your good hands aren't going to protect the horse from the mechanics of the bit. And if your hands are so soft that you're not putting any contact on, then the question there would be, why do you need that particular type of bit? Because if your hands are as great as you say, and you're barely touching them, you can get the same point across in a much softer bit and get the horse soft in that. So why use the bigger one? Um, so yeah, that's kind of my stance on twisted wire bits. They're very easy to damage the mouth with. Um, the other concern is that if you have a bit like that, and this is something I always consider too with my horse's equipment, is if you're using something that's unnecessarily harsh, God forbid you ever fall off and the horse like steps on their reins or something. Like obviously with any bit, they can hurt themselves pretty badly if they do that. But if you're using exceptionally harsh bits, you're increasing the risk of damage if something like that ever happens or something goes wrong and I don't know. Like, it's just unnecessary in my opinion. And it's one of those things where it's people trying to rush to get to the end goal when the end goal is something that as a general rule comes from training, like getting your horse to soften because the bit is harsh, isn't going to yield the same result as a horse that's been trained to soften through work because it's essentially a band-aid fix. The bit is covering up issues that have not been resolved because if you switched it to a softer bit, the heaviness issues and other things would still be there. So yeah, I guess the best like gauge of this would be if people are sure that their horse doesn't actually need the bit or if they're using the bit for a good purpose, try taking it out. Put in a softer bit. Ride your horse bitless. See how they go around. If they're running through all of your aids and they're not listening and they're sticking their nose out and they're heavy, then your bit is a band-aid for something else. And this isn't to say they need to go like identically the same both ways. Like if your horse goes better in a regular soft bit, that's great. They might not go around exactly the same bitless. But if you switch between the two, it'll highlight aspects of your training that are getting covered up by the bit. And this is why for me, all of my horses can go bitless and bitted. And all of them, like for the ones you can't yet, they're all working towards being able to go bridleless. And like since I've started riding bridleless, basically every horse I've ever owned has learned to go bridleless. And you can't hide your training if without a bridle on because if your horse is strong and heavy and running through your aids, you're going to get taken off on if you're riding bridleless. And I think that's why it's such a valuable tool to use because it really showcases how well your horse listens off of seat and stuff and how well they neck rein. And it definitely, it, it's very telling where you need to fix certain things if you ride bridleless. And yeah, I, I wish people just had the same outlook in their day-to-day -day riding and trading with certain bits because a lot of them are used as a band-aid, like even more soft ones than twisted wire bits. A lot of them at their core are used as a band-aid to kind of control and like I don't know, like even without contact a bit like a twisted wire, it's not going to be as comfortable in the mouth as something else that's smooth and softer would be. So uh, like if you're currently riding in one of those and you truly don't believe it's a band-aid, I would just say try riding in something softer and see what happens. And if your horse can go happily in something softer and is as well schooled as you claim it is, then why put something in their mouth that's inherently less comfortable than something softer? And that's the thing. Like it, it like people try to have every excuse in the book as to why it's not a band-aid when generally speaking, the only thing that draws you to use that type of bit is the benefit that comes from having a harsher bit, which is getting the horse to soften quicker, lean less on your hands, which all of those things at their core are the person avoiding actual training and opting for the easier way out, even if it's to the detriment of their horse. And this isn't to say that like really soft-handed people with good hands could use them to soften a horse and like teach them softness from there. But 
even with that, you're teaching your horse softness by teaching them to avoid something rather than seek it out or learn through exercises that this is the correct way to carry themselves. So they're avoiding the bit because it hurts. And that's how you're getting your softness instead of actually training it. So I've, ta- I've talked a lot about twisted wire bits. You can't tell I hate them. Um, I suppose like the other types of bits that are like technically snaffle bits that I still hate would be Waterford bits. A lot of people use these for heavy horses because there's so many joints in them that the horse can lean less. But like I said, with the twisted wire bits, because there's so many joints and different pressure points, they're inherently less comfortable in the horse's mouth. They rub a lot more, especially for riders that do not have really steady hands. If you're pulling back and forth at all, they kind of go through the horse's mouth and just rub and they'll create rubs on the lips. Um, They have a tendency to pinch more. Um, and since they have so many joints in them and the horse can't seek the bit in the same way that they wouldn't want to seek a twisted wire, they literally can't seek the bit and go on to a correct contact in the Waterford because it collapses. So this one's better than a twisted wire. And if you're going to use something to get the horse to lean less, I guess this is like the lesser of evils, but still same thing. It's a type of bit that is kind of looking for a band-aid fix rather than having people train it and the one thing I will say about this because it's really common in like jumping horses I find a lot of people opt to use the water for it because they want to jump and move up quicker and they don't want to put the level of flat work that they probably need in and um that that's kind of like yeah, it's used as a band-aid for people that don't want to put the flat work in to prep their horse to jump. And then the horse, of course, gets strong over fences and running at fences. And then they want to use something to get the horse to stop doing that instead of just teaching them not to. And like I said, it's the lesser of a few evils. So I'm not like entirely against this. And this isn't me saying that like, oh, your horse is inherently in pain if you're using this. But it just has the potential to be abused a lot more than like a French link snaffle could. And like... I'm of the mind that your horse should be able to jump in a dressage legal bit because they should be soft enough on the flat that it transfers into their jumping. And of course, there's always exceptions to this rule. There's horses that might need something else for jumping, but are super well-schooled on the flat, and that's great. But as a general rule, I would say the vast majority of horses could jump in their flatting bit like in a dressage legal bit if the work was just put in i don't really i think we create all of these strong horses who need this this and that because of how we handle them i don't think horses come out of the womb being like i'm gonna be so aggressively strong that i want this harsh bit in my mouth um but like people never like to accept accountability and we always like to blame the horse for why they need a certain thing rather than accepting the fact that perhaps it's our lack of toolbox and training or our lack of knowledge that's created the necessity for this. And I think that can be said about most horses and honestly like a lot of people are guilty of it myself included like there's certain things that you say oh he can't do this and then until you realize how to do the thing you hold that view and then you learn something better and you're like oh wow I really was a dumbass I could have done that better and like I've done that before too like my horses used to need a pelham or an elevator to jump and no it was because I didn't want to do the flat work and I was lazy and I wanted to jump faster so I made up a stupid excuse as to why my horse needed a piece of equipment that I actually needed and used that as the reason why he was in it even though it was me and it's stupid it's really dumb we can definitely do better by our horses and it starts with kind of just being honest with ourselves as what the driving factor pushing us to do a certain thing is and yeah so like bits like the Waterford um, twisted wire you get you got segundas which have like that really sharp 
port in the middle that people like and they like them because from the outside it looks like you're using a nice soft bit and that your horse is going around really nice but then the mouthpiece is kind of evil and it's making the horse go around falsely and give off a false impression when like it's the mouthpiece that like they're like shit i can't touch this because it hurts i'm just gonna soften way quicker because if i fight the contact it just makes it worse and then people can ride around and be like oh yeah he goes in a snaffle when really like the snaffle is like satan's like ass cheek that's in the horse's mouth and but it gives off the illusion so people get rewarded for it like oh wow he goes so soft in a snaffle you're awesome and they're probably unlikely to be like yeah but his snaffle has like a steak knife mouthpiece dude like they're not gonna say that they'll just be like oh thank you yeah we've put the work in to teach him but not really not really so like for snaffles to get harsh usually it'll be how the mouthpiece is built that'll make the horse back off of the mouthpiece itself whereas with like the shanked bits like elevator bits or pelhams um pelham has a curb and elevators are generally like you're supposed to ride with them with like a chin strap so that they don't rotate but a lot of people don't um pelhams have a curb so it's the shank that amplifies the pressure but then also you have the curb chain that puts pressure underneath the chin and for a lot of people they'd probably assume that the chin isn't overly sensitive but there's a lot of really sensitive nerves running right under that area so the chain kind of presses down on that sensitive area and then you get the horse yielding to the contact a lot quicker and then you can also pair these with like a shitty mouthpiece too if you're like a real asshole so that it's the mouthpiece the shank action and the curb getting the horse to back off with that said I think, like, if you're going to need to bit up, a Pelham is one of the kinder options, provided you're not pairing it with a shitty mouthpiece, it's correctly fitted, and you're riding with either, like, at the bare minimum, a converter or two reins. One thing I cannot fucking stand is when people ride in Pelhams with one rein, because it causes the bit in a, to rotate in a way it's not supposed to. Like, that bit is made to be ridden with two reins, and if you cannot ride with two reins, you need the converter to balance out the pressure so the bit doesn't rotate weirdly. People who ride in it with one rein are lazy as fuck, honestly. I'm sorry to say, if that applies to you, it's lazy and your trainer let you down by making letting you think that's okay. Like, it's not the correct way to use the bit. And putting only one rein on the bottom shank makes it rotate grossly. It's not fair to the horse. If you're going to use a piece of equipment, even if it's, like, harsher, use it properly, please. And yes, there's, there's photos and videos of like upper level riders doing this and i hate that too i think they should get a converter because basically what they're saying is like yeah i just want this to like function like a western shank bit and every time i use my english contact which is constant not neck reining pulling all the time i want the chain to enact on the horse's mouth without any balancing from the snaffle ring or any converter to kind of do a nice 50 50 between the two nope i just want it all all pressure there on all the time and it's not nice to the horse you can't fool yourself into thinking the horse likes that especially when you're deliberately misusing the bit that's one of my biggest pet peeves about pelhams please if you're going to use it i understand if two reins is hard for you to manage right now two reins is the kindest way to use the pelham if you can ride with two reins if you can't then the converter is and if you can't ride with a converter then do not use a pelham go get a different bit go learn how to ride in a snaffle and get your horse soft in the flat start jumping again when you're ready because if you can't ride in a pelham properly you have no business having one but like i said when it's correctly used it's one of the kinder options especially with two reins if you can ride well two reins you can kind of use the snaffle rein and then the curb rein when needed and really refine it and use it when it's actually needed to 
The elevator isn't terrible. I don't hate elevator bits. Some people call these, I think they call them like Dutch gags or something, but I call it an elevator bit. It's one of the ones with like the, you can get them with like one snaffle ring and then one like lower ring, or you can get the three ring elevators. Um, I used to ride my old thoroughbred in one because like I said, I didn't actually teach him how to go half decently on the flat. So I used this as a bandaid so I could jump him without having him careen through the jumps. Um, but the problem is a lot of people use them without a chin strap, so it causes them to rotate a lot. And then the other thing is that a lot of people also will use them with just one rein on the lower bubble, which technically is not correct. You're supposed to ride with them with two reins, ideally. Or you can also use a converter to help stop them from rotating as much. Um, I always rode in mine with one rein, like on the bottom ring of the three rings, which is especially gross. And then also, like, I've not seen many of them with a mouthpiece other than like a, a smooth one. But you definitely could get one with a harsher mouthpiece too. And then, like I said, like the action of like the shank on the elevator would make the mouthpiece even worse because the longer like the shank piece is on a bit, the harsher your pressure per pull will be. Um, so that's something to consider. But like I said, like there are ways to use that bit more ethically too. And it's one of the ones that if people need to bit up, I would rather see that one correctly used and see them in a lot of other things. Um, I've seen a fair amount of like upper level jumpers too that like to ride in like western shanks bits which is disgusting because um, the western riders using them are using them like with a really light contact and they're neck reining and they're riding with one hand whereas English riders especially show jumpers are going around two-handing it with like a virtually constant contact if their horse could ride well enough to neck rein around and go in the bit how it's intended to be used then they wouldn't have any incentive to put the bit on in the first place so it's definitely there to just muscle the horse around the course and be unfair to them and they're not using it correctly because what those bits are designed for western riders to so using them to neck rein and go around without having like a really tight contact on the reins and like i've never seen any of the show jumpers who use those bits go around how they should be in order to use them ethically so like i said that's again another band-aid and laziness and then like i suppose one of the last bits that i'll talk about briefly is the kimberwick this is something that i see used pretty commonly in the arab circuit i used it all the time when i was showing arabs i personally do not like them However, like, for someone who wanted to use one, like, in place of a Pelham, like, I guess, but my, my issue with the Kimberwick is that when you pull back, every time you pull, the curb, the curb chain is engaged. So I still think it's a lazy bit to use, and my my incentive to use it in the Arab circuit was that it was easier to get my horse to soften so I could ride a lot lazier in the show ring, and he would soften quicker because, like I said, it's pressing down on the sensitive mandibular nerve underneath the chin and he didn't like it so he would soften a lot quicker otherwise it was just shitty for him um and yeah so that that's why I don't love them because like at their heart they're a band-aid fix and there's very few people who use them for anything other than just to get more control without having to put the work in and like I said there's certain scenarios where I can understand it like Ugh, this is gonna be this is gonna be hard to say without like offending people but like as someone who trains I'd say that one of the driving factors behind lazy equipment would be like the trainer looking at their student's horse and how the student isn't able to easily handle them and then recognizing the fact that perhaps their student isn't like patient enough to do it the proper way or is like incapable of being able to ride them 
in a manner that would allow them to train them to soften properly and maybe they can't afford to get the trainer to do it and then the trainer puts the horse in a bigger bit to the horse's own detriment just so that the client can kind of get what they want and I think this happens a lot and then what will happen with the trainers too is they'll do it enough that like they they start to kind of become less like desensitized to it and more okay with it and then they start doing it more and more and more to fix band-aids and then they'll get more and more mad at the horse if they're not doing the thing right still and it just kind of snowballs from there and the more people do something the more comfortable they become with it and then it just ends up being shitty for the horse so I would say like honestly like for a lot of people because a lot of riders who have strong horses they think that their horse is like the exception and that their horse is so strong and that like no one can understand how strong this horse is and if like if they ride in a softer bit they have an easier horse and that like their horse just needs this bit and there's no way to fix it and that you don't understand unless you've ridden a horse like that but I would say for the vast majority of those people that someone out there could get your horse going in a snaffle and they could get it soft enough because they have the tools to do so just because you can't imagine doing it doesn't mean your horse is an exception and is inherently more strong than other horses. And I used to be one of those people. I used to think my horse was so strong and such an exception. And then I started riding race horses. And now I just kind of laugh at everyone who says that because I'm like, I could put a snaffle on your horse and it wouldn't run off on me. Like, I'm pretty confident that most horses who are really strong, the race horses are stronger and I'm fit enough to hold them and get them soft and kind of just keep giving and taking until they eventually realize that it's better to just soften. And I like it, it's been helping me out a lot in getting that softness and helping horses slow down who are strong and whatnot and keeping them in, in softer bits. Um, but I think at, at its core, it's people being unable to achieve a certain thing, but then they blame it on the horse because they don't want to acknowledge their own lack of ability in that sense. And it doesn't mean you're a bad rider. It could just mean you've had a lack of education and a lack of tools in your box to figure out how to do that properly. And then the horse gets blamed because it's easier to blame the horse and try to pretend that your horse is an exception to the rule um, to make yourself feel better than it is to acknowledge where you might need to change your ways and get better and become a better trainer. But most of it gets blamed on the horse. And like 99.9% of the time, I would say it's a rider issue. And like, unfortunately, some horses, if they've been trained in a certain way for years and years and years, it might be harder to get them down to a softer bit, especially if they've had like a lot of bad experiences with harsh bits running around on the jumper course, and then they go out there and they're already anxious and pulling. It could take way more work to get a horse like that soft enough to show in a snaffle than it would like a baby. But all of those horses, if they'd been started correctly from the beginning, it honestly probably wouldn't be that hard to get them going softly. And people who can do that with their horses, they're not on easier horses. Like straight up, they're just better trainers in that regard. They're better at getting a soft horse and producing a soft, relaxed horse that doesn't feel the need to run through the aids and go careening up to fences. And there's not really a way around acknowledging that. And it sucks because no one wants to like talk down about their own ability. And I understand that. But at the same time, if someone can get their horse to do the same things your horse can and be softer and more relaxed and in equipment that's less painful, then why wouldn't you want to applaud them for that? It's it's all about ego. People don't want to admit that because it, it means that they have to look at the fact that they've made a choice that might be inherently less fair to their horse. And they don't want to come to terms with that. 
Um, but that's basically what it is. Like if someone can achieve something through kinder methods and they can do the same things you can through kinder methods, then they've figured out something that's better than you in terms of taking the horse's feelings into account. And that's something to acknowledge. And I don't think the prevalence of like tough equipment at the upper levels is an indicator of the types of horses it takes to get there. I think it's an indicator of the types of riders it takes to get there. They generally have money. They generally want to get somewhere fast. They're less patient. They want rewards with less work. They're not willing to put like a year of flat work into a horse that's already jumping to get it bitted down. And they just, they, they want to move up the levels in the easiest way possible. And they're usually also heavily pressured by clients to have the horse going a certain way as soon as possible, which doesn't always allow them to do it the correct way. And I think it's less of a... a like less of a commentary on how the horses need to be ridden and more of a commentary on how we as riders will condone certain things if it benefits us. And it's sad because if we had softer bits and equipment, especially in the show jumping ring, because there's some pretty disgusting gadgets that you see on horses in those rings. If we had a higher standard for what we viewed as ethical and fair to the horse, then we would also be seeing better riders. Like at the end of the day, we should be rewarding good horsemanship and it shouldn't be a type of thing where it's like, oh yeah, anything goes, put your horse in whatever the fuck you want. We don't care. It doesn't matter. And that's kind of what it is right now. And it's not okay. But yeah, like that's that on bits. Like from where I stand, like like I said, there's certain things like the Pelham and then like certain types of Hackabit combos maybe, but lots of these ones need to be ridden with two reins and they're usually not. And I don't know, like I would say as a general rule, the vast majority of riders could get their horses going soft in like a nice, easy snaffle if they just put the work in and they don't. And then even with that, like you have people that are either using these harsh bits or maybe they stay in softer snaffles, but then they also pair them with the gadgets and the freaking gadgets are another big problem because most of these gadgets are about getting the horse to submit to a certain position of carrying themselves before they're ready to like with draw reins, for example, draw reins have a lot of pressure per pull because you're using like wherever you clip them as an anchor to kind of use force to pull the horse's head down. And the problem with draw reins is that most of the people who are drawn to use them are drawn to do so out of impatience. They don't want to put the work in to get the horse soft and relaxed and on the bit themselves. So they'd rather force them to do it through how they use the pressure and force by, like I said, the anchor point. It makes it easier to muscle a horse into a position even when you're like a small rider who isn't stronger than the horse. Um And the problem with draw reins, like honestly, the main thing, even when people think they're using them correctly, what they're doing is they're pulling the horse into a muscular position that they're not ready to go in at all, or at least for the period of time the rider is going to ride them in it for. Um, It would be like someone taking you and knowing that you cannot do the splits and being, I'm not patient, fuck you, and then forcing you to do the splits. It would be painful because you're stretching muscles and having to carry them in a way for an extended period of time that your body is not ready for, that you're not fit for, that you're not supple enough for, but you're just getting cranked into it and forced to stay like that often for like at least 10 minutes at a time. And that's what draw reins do. So even if someone's not using them to hyperflex their horse, if they're forcing the horse into a position that normally without draw reins they'd pop in and out of, then they're using them to push the horse to do something that they're not physically ready to do. 
Um, and that, that's why horses are inconsistent in contact when you're riding them around without draw reins and stuff is that they're trying to figure it out and they're developing the muscles to do it properly. And honestly, building a correct top line takes an extended period of time, especially when the horses have little to no muscle or have never been asked to carry themselves properly. Like we're talking like a year before you notice like a big difference, like a year of good riding and having the horse carry themselves for long enough in a certain position that they really start to build it like it takes a long long time and draw reins are used to force that and try to achieve something sooner to the horse's own detriment like you have to think about it like your own muscles if you went to the gym just because you want to start lifting 200 pounds on a squat rack doesn't mean you're necessarily ready to and just going and doing it and having someone force you to and just like really gas you up and be like, yeah, you can do it. Let's go. I'll spot you and just do it. Doesn't mean you're not going to be able to. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to do it. And that's what we have to consider with these gadgets, like with draw reins, neck stretchers, like all of those stuff, like neck stretchers pull the head down in a different way than draw reins. I think they're more dangerous than draw reins because at least draw reins, since you're holding them, you can release them. A horse and a neck stretcher, if it's done up too tightly or if they hit it and panic and freak out, you're fucked if they decide to rear. Like you're so screwed. You can't undo it easily. Um, so I personally think they're unnecessarily dangerous, especially those. Like if you're going to use one, I would say use draw reins because at least if the horse goes up and over, you can just drop them and it'll release the pressure and they're less likely to flip over on you. I suppose the better thing about neck stretchers would be that they're not connecting to the bit. So when they pull down, they're pulling down on the horse's pole, but at the same time, often for a lot of horses, especially more nervous ones, hitting the pole like that is more likely to cause them to rear up and over than having the bit pulled on would be, especially if they're already broke. But anyways, both of those things are designed to pull a horse into a position that they may not be ready to do. So like ideally, like if people were going to use these things, the proper way to use them would be in very short intervals and having the horse come down slowly into a different frame where you really like you're barely using them, letting them stick their nose out in the drawings and just asking for a slight difference. And then not asking them to carry it for an extended period of time because like I said they're not fit for it but then the other problem with these things is that they focus only on the front end I've had so many people tell me that draw reins teach a proper carriage they don't they only teach a proper carriage if you're actually doing your work as a rider and actually getting them to drive from behind but since you're pulling the face down what you're essentially doing is shutting down forward movement by using them and then seeing that the head looks pretty and being like oh that's so great like they're tucking their head in awesome but then their back and hind end is usually just trailing out behind them like a flag um and that's the problem with these aids is that they're all focusing on the front end because a lot of people just look at the head position and if the horse is sticking the nose out they'll assume they're not using themselves properly even if they might be driving better from behind but yeah, so like the, these these aids shut down forward movement for a lot of young horses and they'll get them kind of hiding behind the vertical and behind the bit or just like putting their head in a pretty position and then not using their back at all. And it often makes it harder to develop that proper carriage from behind and through the back than it would if you just hadn't done that in the first place. So I really don't like those ones because like I said, like they're most people drawn the most to use them are the ones that probably should not be using them. And 
it's just not ideal at all. Like the one type of aid that I'm more okay with is side reins. I do not think they should ever under any circumstances be ridden in unless maybe you're like a vaulter. Then that's like the only exception. But they're dangerous to ride in for a similar reason to the neck stretcher. And it's that you cannot undo them. And then also like if the horse were to freak out or anything, like they are way more likely to go over. I know a horse that went over in side reins with one of my old trainers and died because they flipped over and cracked their skull. So definitely something to consider with how you fit them and the horses you put them on even when you're lunging because if they're not used to contact on the mouth and they're likely to get nervous from it then you have a risk of that happening especially the side reins are too short so it's just something to really consider introducing properly if you use them and also never riding in for that reason um i will lunge in side reins but like i said i'm careful with the horses that i put them on if they don't have a basic understanding of contact on the mouth and starting to like give to contact i don't put them on i also generally put them on really loosely so that they're only ever coming into action when the horse is really having their head up in the air and stargazing um Way too many people will fit these things with them so tight that even when the horse goes on the vertical and is relaxing into them, they're still pulling back, which basically means the horse is only rewarded when they're behind the vertical, which is teaching them to hyperflex and hide from the bit and doesn't teach them anything. It's way too tight. It's not comfortable forcing them into a frame they're not ready for. I'm sure their neck gets sore after that, especially if they're like literally not fit at all. Um, and way too many fit people fit them like that. Like if your side reins are still pulling back on your horse when they're already like on the vertical and they're pulling back lots, then they're not properly fitted. And similarly, if they're still pulling back when they're behind the vertical, then they're definitely not properly fitted. And as the horse's handler, it's your job to make sure if you're using equipment that you know how to use it. And if you fit them like that, you don't and you shouldn't be using them. And same thing with the Pessoa systems. I hate the Pessoa systems because... Um, the hind end part is connected to the mouth so every time the horse steps it's like seesawing on the mouth especially when they're fitted tightly if they're fitted loosely it's not quite as bad but a lot of people fit them way too tight like I said to the point where they're still pulling back even when the horse is behind the vertical and then you get the seesawing action from how the horse moves and it's not fair to them I've also found that like like I said with the neck stretchers and stuff horses are more likely to flip in these especially if they're not correctly fitted and there's an adjustment period to get the horse used to the bum part and stuff and since it's all connected to the mouth it's way more dangerous if they spook at the bum part throw their head up and get scared all of it just starts seesawing on each other because it's all connected so it doesn't really make sense I used to use one before I knew better I hate them now like I would never buy one again um, because they're connected to the mouth it makes no sense to connect the bum part to the mouth like at all like not at all not fair to the horse um and yeah, a lot of people misuse them. They put them on way too tight. They'll still be pulling when the horse is like on the vertical or behind it. And I've seen this with like even upper level equestrians, like big name influencers that people really like, all incorrectly fitted and unfair to the horse. So people think it looks good because the head looks pretty, even though their back is hollow as fuck. And the horse is behind the vertical and they like it because they think the head looks pretty. But it's not pretty for the horse. It's not comfortable for the horse. And I'm sure they don't like it. So like I said, if you're going to use them, make sure it's fitted correctly. And that's even more important for the Pessoa system since it is attached to the hind end and it'll seesaw on the horse that it's fitted too tightly. So you often need to fit them a lot looser than you think. And otherwise your horse is getting seesawed on and they're not really learning anything other than how to be uncomfortable and how to evade the bit because it hurts. <laughs> um, so yeah, like both of those, like all of those things, like they come from a place where people want to like use them correctly but the biggest pull to using them is for like incorrectness so if you're gonna use anything to get a horse like soft in the bridle it needs to be fitted a lot looser than you probably think and 
you need to not like yeah the horse shouldn't have to be forced into like a single position for the whole time of the ride like horses are dynamic beings and they should have the means to move like in and out of certain areas of contact and even when you're riding like a well-schooled horse it doesn't need to be going in the same contact for the whole ride you can have them going long and low then you can bring them up into the bridle again and then have them going in a more collected frame and so on and so forth like you gotta give them some time to like stretch out and like do their thing and not be forced into a single position for an extended period of time otherwise it's not really fair to them um so yeah like for those lunging aids i would just say use extreme caution and make sure you're using them for the right reasons because like you're not gonna get to a point sooner just because you force your horse to do something when they're not physically fit enough to do it think about it from your standpoint if you were the one that was getting chased around on a lunge line being asked to run around and essentially being asked to do the version of a plank while moving and carrying weight would you be able to do it for the extent that you're asking your horse to when they're not fit probably not so don't be greedy and realize that you're training muscular balance and also cardio fitness and that doesn't just happen overnight because you use certain bits or training aids like it takes time don't get a horse who isn't perfectly well schooled if you're not prepared to put the work in to get them fit and muscled up enough to do what you want to eventually ask them to do asking for it early all at once doesn't yield you a quicker result it's just going to end up ruining your horse and giving you way way more things to fix in the future so be patient and remember it takes time to build muscle you didn't get fit overnight the second you decided you wanted to start running or riding don't expect your horse to because i'm sure if you were in like a course of the physical like a fitness trainer who was doing the same types of stuff that we all have probably done to our horses and a lot of us continue to do if you were with a fitness trainer doing that you'd probably quit because you'd recognize this is like so past my physical capabilities right now i am going to get injured don't do it to your horse put yourself in their shoes so anyways now i'll get started on some of like the stuff that people sent in for me to ask i mean for me to answer um one of the things was if a horse has previously had a harsh tack how should one introduce softer tack to them for me personally anytime i get a horse that comes in with like any equipment that i don't agree with even if I don't own them like training horses. I've had horses come in with twisted wire bits on their bridle. The first thing I do is just take it off. And I've had a very high success rate of just getting on them and schooling them in softer equipment. Like to the point where like, like I said earlier, I would argue that no horse actually needs the harsh equipment that a lot of their riders think. With that said, if the horse has severe problems, don't just go and do this in an arena. Go work with them on the ground in like a round pen and stuff. Figure them out. Even if you just start off doing walk rides and softer equipment, do that. Start off in the round pen if you're worried because then they can't get far away from you or get really running if they're in an enclosed space. But I wouldn't like I don't think there really needs to be much of a grace period in terms of riding them in the equipment that you don't agree with to get them softer i think that a lot of the ways to do it are teaching them that the equipment isn't going to hurt them anymore and using exercises correctly to stop them from doing that like for example like on all the racehorses and this is something important to keep in mind because these horses aren't like super super fancy broke in terms of knowing like all of the dressage movements and stuff generally speaking but with that said like I teach the vast majority of racehorses that I ride leg yield and shoulder in because when they start to run off on you if you put them in shoulder in they can't run and they can't get away as fast so if they actually know shoulder in well enough to stay relatively within 
the parameters of it, they can't run off on you um, because their legs are crossed and it keeps them way more easy to manage. So if you start using tactics like that in your exercises, like certain movements that don't allow the horse to easily like get super into the bridle and running away from you, then it's easier to manage them. Like even horses who like to rear and stuff, if you start teaching them how to move sideways and do more lateral work and just more exercises, you can use those as tactics to keep them focused when they're stressed like that and prevent accidents from happening. So I'd say use your exercises and your expertise on the ground to like help settle a more anxious horse in and don't use equipment that you don't agree with on them, especially if you're getting them in for training and whatnot. Um, so the next one, like I've, I've covered a lot of what people have been asking. Someone asked about spurs. Are they good or bad in your opinion? So I've said this on my page before too. I think that if you need like something as like an extra aid for a horse who might be less responsive to use a whip would be better. I think spurs are a lot easier to misuse, especially if you toe out at all, which some people do just confirmationally. Like I'm more prone to towing out and I used to tow it really bad. So I never started wearing spurs other than like when I showed Arabs, I never wore them at all until fairly recently. And even recently, like I prefer carrying a whip because if a horse acts up and like starts panicking and stuff and has like a big explosion or anything, like any type of accident, if something happens and you're holding a whip, you're a lot less likely to hit them with the whip and do like accidentally use it than you are with spurs. Spurs are a lot easier to use when you don't intend to. So I prefer a whip personally. Um, and spurs I don't think are bad I think that how you choose what spur to use and the readiness at which you use spurs is what matters like if a horse is dead to leg you should be trying to fix that without adding in extra equipment initially because you can teach them to be more responsive through the exercises that you use um, and teach them how to have a better go button through your training with them instead of just using something to make them want to go forward to escape it um, and like with my whips and stuff, like I won't use a whip to like beat a horse with. I don't think that's right. I hate seeing people hitting their horses multiple times after refusals and whatnot. Um, for me, the whip is more so like an extension of the arm to help with stuff like lead changes or when you're trying to teach shoulder in and haunches in initially, it can be really helpful for helping like isolate certain parts of their body. Um, so I like them for that. And you can't really do that with spurs. Spurs, like I think that there are certain types of spurs that don't need to exist. And I also think they're a lot easier to misuse, like I said before, because especially if your legs aren't steady, a lot of riders give their horses spur rubs without intending to. And it's because of how easy they are to misuse. It's pretty hard to give a horse a welt with a whip without actually actively trying to do it. Um, so in terms of like what's safest for people to use and not misuse, I would say whips. Um, but spurs aren't necessarily bad. Um, opinions on mick limbs, flashes, drop nose bends, and nose bends to keep mouth shuts, etc. So the mick limb bridle is supposed to be like fitted in a way that avoids a lot of important nerves and makes a horse more comfortable. I haven't really found it made that much of a difference on any horse that I personally use it on. With that said, I don't think a drop nose band is bad, but I think any nose band being used needs to be fitted correctly, which means like minimum two fingers fitting into it if you do up anything too tight it's cruel and then i also think that people really need to reconsider using like drop nose bands flashes or figure eights paired with like really harsh bits especially like harsh mouthpieces or super leveragey bits because then when you pull too much like if you get a little carried away with your hands or the horse is leaning too much and the bit starts to hurt them they can't open their mouth to relieve some of that pressure especially if you do up your flash too tight and then 
basically all you're doing is just like strapping your horse into a situation they can't escape from and bullying them into doing what you what you want so like in my opinion if you're going to opt for like a harsher bit you need to reconsider your noseband choices because if you pair both of them it's kind of unfair to the horse like if you want to use lots of nosebands go stick with a regular snaffle or something don't put them in a situation where they have like a leverage bit paired with a drop noseband and then a running martingale pulling down on it when they raise their head and try to open their mouth and are uncomfortable because they can't like be reasonable you can't just throw all of the horrible like harsh methods at your horse all all at once if you want to use certain types of noseband realize that it means that you need to reconsider your bit choices for some otherwise you're kind of just bullying them and the other thing that i don't like is that people use flashes to try to get horses quieter in the mouth but when they're getting used to like softening in the bridle and learning softness a lot of horses will chew and open their mouth and they'll be less quiet in the mouth and the flash doesn't fix that. Like, you could do up your flash as tight as you want, and it's not going to stop the fact that the horse is working their jaw and grinding because they're stressed. In fact, using it just to shut their mouth will probably increase how much they chew and do certain things because they're uncomfortable, and it's more likely to make them anxious if you strap their mouth shut and the bit is hurting them and they can't open their mouth. And uh, yeah, so I just think that, like, flashes should really be used sparingly because getting softness of the mouth and relaxation of the jaw comes from training no matter how hard you try to strap their mouth shut they're not going to just relax their jaw when you're literally strapping their mouth shut they're still going to be stressed um so i don't personally really use flashes and if i do they're usually fitted quite loosely a lot of people use them way 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 too tight way too tight What's your opinion on running slash standing slash German martingales? So running martingales of those are the only ones that I would personally be comfortable using. Standing martingales I don't even think should really be considered a martingale. They're literally an English tie-down. That's what they are. They're a tie-down. Um, I don't like standing because a lot of people either fit them too tight or they'll fit them so loose that there's no purpose in wearing them. And I think it's stupid as hell that they're like a fashion statement in the hunter ring like just use equipment your horse actually needs or don't use it at all type thing i think it's weird to use something just for aesthetics and i also think that when they are fitted tightly or even when they're fitted correctly in terms of like hitting the horse when they put their head up it's dangerous to jump in because you risk hanging a leg over it and having the horse fall down or if they stumble when they're coming down from the jump they can't stretch their neck out as much to rebalance themselves so i don't like that at all and I also find that horses who do technically need them in terms of stargazing, they just learn to brace against them and it doesn't do them any favors in terms of like learning to soften and relax their neck. And it just gives them this massive like under neck from always bracing and hollowing out against them. So I don't like them. Running martingales when they're fitted per like properly, they don't go into action unless the horse is really stargazing. So if you're on a horse that's prone to throwing its head and potentially hitting riders in the face, it can be pretty, pretty useful. And then if they don't do that, they don't, the horse doesn't even know that it's there. So I don't mind them when they're correctly fitted. I do think that a lot of people use them when they don't need to, and they'll use them for every ride when they'd be perfectly fine without them. Like I used to always ride in one, especially with my Arab, and I never actually needed it. So I haven't ridden in one in quite some time now. German Martingales, I don't like. Um, they're similar to draw reins in that they're forcing a certain headset and they're easy to misuse and you can put them on too tight, but... The problem with German martingales is that um, you can't release them in the same way you can draw reins. So like I said, with like the neck stretchers and stuff, if the horse were to panic and freak out, you're kind of screwed because it's hard to release that 
contact quickly because you've clipped it in place and the horse is all shut down from being put in like a static position from the piece of equipment that you cannot correctly like undo yourself from the tack easily so i'm not a fan of those and like 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 i said with the draw reins and stuff a german martingale's purpose is just to pull the head in a certain position and while some people might not get carried away and it might be helpful i just don't think it's necessarily safe especially since they're usually recommended to be used on young horses or horses in training which are generally the ones more looking to have big reactions if something bad happens so I don't know. I'm not the biggest fan of them at all. Like, I don't really like anything that you can't easily release from the saddle, especially if it's something that comes into action and that if the horse doesn't start, stop freaking out, that they won't release. So it's just a safety thing for me. And then also just the idea of pulling the horse's head down and not carrying with a high end, I don't love. Um, What do you think about dressage whips instead of crops? So dressage whips are easier to misuse than like a riding crop from the standpoint if you hit a horse hard with a dressage whip, it's going to hurt them way more because they're thinner, their pressure is more localized, and they don't have that little bat on the end um, that would hurt less when connected. It'll be like whipping a horse with like a switch or like a, a branch or like one of the things that they used to hit like school children with in class. Um, it's more likely to sting. And then since they're thin, they're also more likely to cut the skin. So you're really not supposed to hit a horse, the dressage whip, like at all. Like they're used as an extension of the arm to go like really gentle taps or just like poke the horse with, you're not supposed to hit with them. So they're really dangerous if they're in the hands of someone aggressive, because if you hit hard with them, you can really, really hurt a horse, like more so than a crop, um, because of the more localized pressure. But I think that they're good from the standpoint of the length of them. So like I said, when you're teaching stuff with like shoulder in or haunches in, you can extend it back to kind of cue the horse from behind to help turn their haunches if they're not fully understanding, especially if you use one on the ground to teach it from the ground first, then the cue transfers over better from under saddle. So they can be really useful, but if you're going to use it as a weapon, it's a lot more dangerous of a weapon than it would be like than a crop would be. Um, yeah. And then I guess like one of the things I did for talk that what I, one of the things I forgot to talk about earlier was like more bitless options. So the one thing I did want to say about bitless that I've said this in my previous videos, like bitless as a general rule, if you're using like a regular side pull or something, it'll always be like softer, even than a snaffle bit, it'll be easier to misuse, especially a side pull because it's not tightening the contact anywhere. The cross under bitless bridles could do a lot of damage with bad hands and they also don't release readily. I've ridden in a few of them and I hated them because you would pull back to turn a horse and then it wouldn't release so the pressure would still be there so it's not giving the horse clear cues and then the other thing is that it's uncomfortable because it's restricting their sensitive facial nerves for extended periods of time and so I don't like those ones side poles are fine um hackamores are fine in the right hands but a lot of people think hackamores are inherently softer than like any snapple bit um and then they'll get ones with like large shanks and with like a chain underneath the the chin instead of like a leather piece and then they're a lot harsher and people assume that they're softer just because they're bitless which I don't like um so I think people need to consider like you still need to consider shank length with um bitless like you would with bits because the shank still does amplify the level of pressure you put on the horse and while the pressure will fall like across the face and might hit more less sensitive areas other than underneath the chin um, you still need to consider how harsh it is per pull and bitless doesn't always mean something is kinder because unlike with bits horses can't open their mouths to relieve the pressure with bitless if they open their mouth it would actually increase the pressure 
So they're kind of just, they have to deal with it if you're being too harsh because they don't have a means mechanically where they can themselves relieve the pressure in the same way they could with a bit if they're not wearing a flash. Um, so I think that bitless can be great. And I do wish that it was legal in more show rings. Like I think that it should just be like allowed for people to show bitless if they so choose, especially since some horses could have mouth injuries and other reasons why they might not want to go in a bit. So I think that rules need to change to accommodate that. But I do think that people often just assume it's kinder and then their riding doesn't reflect the kindness that they're thinking that they're giving their horse because they're ignorant in that they assume that like, oh, I'm riding bitless, so I'm better than everyone else, even if I do these things wrong. Um, the other thing with bitless is that you really need to make sure that it's fitted properly. A lot of people fit their hackamores way too low or their bitless options way too low and they end up pushing down on really sensitive areas of the face and where the fine nasal bones are that are a lot easier to break or cartilage that's easier to be damaged and then it's more painful and a lot less kind to the horse so fit is very important and something people need to consider more um another question someone asked was do you think the Beauchet bit has any leverage I've seen lots of different opinions from all of like the bidding professionals I've seen no because the, the mouthpiece like the cheek piece doesn't rotate um, it's also dressage legal and you're not allowed leverage bits in dressage. So I'd imagine they have not found it uses any leverage. The bit hanger just stabilizes the bit a little bit more, but it doesn't rotate in the way a shank would. So it shouldn't give you any leverage. Someone asked what bit should anyone absolutely not use? If I had to throw out like an entire type of bit, I would throw out twisted wire bits. 100% all twisted wire bits can get fucked because they're shitty bits. Um, <laughs> and I hate them. Especially when they're paired with shanks, like, oh my god, don't even get me started. But yeah, I would say if you had to just completely remove one type of bit from your vocabulary, never put a twisted wire, like a bike chain, or like any type of bit where like the mouthpiece is meant to be abrasive to get the horse backed off of it. Um, someone, I had a few people ask me about how to talk, how do you talk to someone about changing bits on a horse if it's one that you ride but don't own, and especially if you're like a junior or an amateur. Um, if you're leasing the horse, I would just say, like, I would just ask the owner, like, hey, I have this, like, new bridle that I want to use on the horse or something, and, like, there's this this bit that I was looking into that I think might be good for him. Is it okay if we practice in it and see how he likes it type thing? Like, just make it super casual and don't say anything about, like, oh, your bit's super harsh because if they get, like, really defensive, they're less likely to let you try something new. So I just be like, oh yeah, like I found this new thing that I think might work really great for him. Is it okay if I try it in some of our rides? And then if you try it, even if it doesn't go perfectly the first time, don't just like school a few rides and then if they come watch you another time, make sure they come watch you after you've had a chance to introduce the horse to the bit and they're going half decently and then be like, yeah, he goes well in it. Is it okay if I use it from now on? And then go from there. Um, it's a really awkward position to be in for sure because a lot of people get super defensive about the equipment that they put on their horses so I totally understand that so you just kind of want to defer to them and not make it seem like I want to do this because you're using equipment that's too harsh for your horse and that that that's that you know like just just make it casual and don't make it about the fact that their bit is super harsh even if it definitely is um so <laughs> Just ask nicely. 
Um, someone asked, why do people use double bridles? So ridiculous and harsh. I personally don't have an issue with people using double bridles provided they're upper level dressage riders. I hate when show jumpers use double bridles because I don't think that generally speaking, most of them have the level of refinement that they need to use them. And there's also less stress on having those horses go properly on the flat as there would be for dressage horses. With that said, obviously some dressage riders do absolutely abuse how they use their equipment and are unfair to their horses but generally speaking i don't think a double bridle is necessarily more harsh than other types of leverage or curb bits i think that it just looks harsher because there's more stuff on the face um so i think when they're used properly they're fine what i will say is that i don't think that it should be a situation where an upper level dressage rider should have to show their horse in a double bridle if it can go and do the exact same thing in a snaffle so i think that they should start letting people show snaffles all the way up through the levels because if the horse can do it in a snaffle or even fucking bitless like who cares just let them do it um with dressage obviously with the bitless thing it's harder for like they couldn't judge the contact of a horse bitless the same as they could with a bit because they would take the contact a bit differently even if they're still using their back and whatnot properly it's not going to look exactly the same as it would with a bridle so they would need to kind of change how they judge things in that regard and take it into account for different pieces of equipment but with that said like if a horse is using its back properly and doing the movements properly i don't really think it should matter if if they're bitless like in a snaffle or um or in a double bridle so long as like the mouthpiece and whatnot is dressage legal and like if people want to keep riding in double bridles great i just don't think it should be a requirement because for me personally if my horse could go in a snaffle i wouldn't want to show it in a double bridle if i ever got to that level um and yeah, I think that go- that could be said about most, uh, honestly, most show rings is that it should just be a situation where they allow ethical equipment. It shouldn't be a situation where there have certain rules that allow the use of unethical types of equipment or equipment that's at the bare minimum easier to abuse. Um, but then they won't let people use certain types of softer equipment. It's all very skewed because it's not about the best interest of the horse at that point. It's just like some weird traditional bullshit. Um, that I personally don't really think holds any standing that we should listen to. <laughs> um, because it's very weird to me how, like, to what extent people will justify equipment used on the horse, but then they're like, oh, but bit we can't have bitless um, because this, this, and this. And it's like, you know, like, it should just be whatever is most ethical. We should stop just allowing people to show in stuff that we know isn't as fair to the horse. Unless there's a higher rate of it not being misused which currently there can't be said about an awful lot of things um so yeah like i don't know it, it's very it's very weird to me how the horse world works um and yeah like there's just stuff that we can do to make things better for our horses and the start for that i think would be competitions need to change some of the weird laws they have because I absolutely understand people's misgivings about double bridles but at the same time I think that this types of shit that they allow in the jumper ring is way more concerning because there's like so few regulations regarding that and yeah so I suppose to finish this podcast off, like one thing I will say is that like at this point I've gotten on lots of horses on and off the racetrack and I've also ridden and galloped lots of horses on the racetrack who've later gone on to new homes where people will say they need certain types of equipment and like I wrote the I ride those horses at the peak in their physical fitness careers and 
I don't know. There's been enough horses that I've had and worked with that I've been like, yeah, this horse definitely does not need that bit or this setup. Like the person has just gotten lazy and um, it's, it, it's telling, especially if you've worked with the horse because people can't use the excuse, oh, you've never handled this horse. You don't get it. It's like, no, I absolutely have. And I had them when they would have been hotter and harder to handle. So you're wrong. Um, but people like horse owners never want to accept accountability for their own actions. They always want to blame something on their horse to justify their choices to do something to get to the end result faster. And I think that we need to start trying to catch ourselves doing that and nip it in the bud because it almost always takes longer or we just do not get to do the thing as well as we could if we put more work on foundation stuff in. And we could all do better by our horses. Like, like I said, with the race horses, like there's been enough that I've seen go to homes where people are like, Oh, they're crazy. They need this and this and that. And then like the horse is like literally a lamb to gallop at the track. So all we can think is like, fuck, you really screwed up if that horse is crazy now because it definitely wasn't before. And that happens with a lot of horses. And I don't know, like I've heard of horses getting listed with behavioral problems, like horses that I'd met at some point and had handled and really liked. And then people are selling them being like, oh my God, they have like a rearing issue now. And like, they must've been like abused in the past. And they blame like the issue on basically every other fucking thing they can think of other than themselves, even though the horse had the issue with them. And like like obviously there are times where like it definitely is a pre-existing thing like I think a lot of Milo's odd behaviors like he really is terrified of the smell of like alcohol and stuff and it's a weird thing because I know a lot of horses don't like the smell but he's like actually scared and I think that it has something to do with his life before he was rescued by the SPCA like maybe the people that he lived with are alcoholics or something I don't know it's like an irrational fear that probably stands for something else so there's absolutely cases of that happening but unfortunately with riding a lot of the negative behaviors we see under saddle especially ones that snowball into like a huge issue that the rider can't ignore anymore where they start to want to cover it up with like band-aid fixes like like the bits and like the gadgets and whatnot a lot of those problems are stuff that ends up being created by the rider or the trainer in one way or another and being able to recognize that and be like shit i could have trained this better in the beginning and then i could have avoided this whole situation where it's becoming a problem now recognizing that will be what saves you from prolonging how long it takes to get your horse to the end goal and honestly the more you rush the longer it takes every single person that i know that is prone to rushing immensely now and wants to bit up and use lots of equipment like basically every single person i know that does that they end up taking longer to get somewhere than other people and then that plays into the whole issue because they look at what other people are doing with horses they got after they got their own horses and they're like well crap they got that horse like six months after mine and it's doing this and mine's not like what's wrong with my horse i gotta start doing this and this and this and then they start wanting to rush even more even though the problem is that they rush too much in the beginning and it's so encouraged online and I notice it with all of my young horses so I have people asking when I'm gonna free jump Banksy for my dares video I had people wanting me to free jump him for the dares video he's a fucking yearling what kind of yearling needs to be jumping over fences for any purpose like literally the only like purpose of doing that would be so that I could post photos of him doing it and flex on social media there's no point doesn't benefit him at all and it would literally just be for social media and he's a yearling like he's going through one of the stages of growth that occurs like has the most rapid growth and most changes in his like 
life that he's going through right now. Why would I free jump a yearling? There's no point. Like, at, at least with, like, two, three-year-olds, you can justify it because there's inspections and stuff that they could go to where they'd be jumping, but, like, there's no purpose for that. And then, like, with Pogo, I've had people ask me, like, why is he not showing it? Like, are you going to jump him now? Like, why is he not riding more? Is he hurt? Is he this? Is he that? Because we've only ridden him eight times since he retired from the track, but that horse also drove a fucking stick through his knee first of all and secondly he's only three so it's like not doing tons with him and only hacking him and having mostly light rides for him it's not going to do him a disservice he's going to be a better horse because of it and i've already noticed a lot of that like he's so easy to manage and handle and take out on rides in like a halter like we my mom hacks him in a halter all the time and he's very quiet but then i heard recently that when he was getting started at the track he flipped himself over while he was getting ground driven because he pooped on his leg and he got scared and i was surprised hearing that because we've literally had no problems with him and i think that it's largely due to just taking our time and I've also like noticed it with like just honestly all of my young horses and like when I post about the thoroughbreds I have we're like taking them out on hacks like we'll pony off of like the three and four year olds we'll ride them on the roads and we go and do things that a lot of people don't do with their young horses and they'll be like wow you're so lucky you have such quiet and well-behaved thoroughbreds and I'm like no I'm not lucky I just put the work in to make them that way and try to make their management and care as stress-free as possible and I also take them out places and I expect that they're going to be good and I don't expect that they're going to be good in the sense that I'm mad at them if they aren't but I have confidence in their confidence and their ability to go and do something because I'm used to thoroughbreds being like really sensible young horses and generally speaking if I go into it with that expectation instead of being nervous and expecting antics they almost always are perfect and Obviously, that's coupled with the fact that, like, my horses get turned out a lot and stuff. I'm sure if they were stalled a lot, they would be a lot harder to manage, but that also wouldn't be their fault. It would be mine for not managing them properly. And it's not me getting lucky because before I started to really update my training and care practices, I wasn't getting these really nice, well-adjusted horses who I could go out and do stuff with easily. And I don't think it's necessarily that I've gotten better at choosing horses because a lot of the horses that I have picked in the last little while are not easy horses. Like I usually pick sharper, more sensitive and hot horses. Um, and they would be very easy to ruin if I wanted to rush. Like for sure, Pogo would be easy for someone to ruin if they just threw him in draw reins because he does try to evade the bridle quite a lot, which is why we're doing a lot of walking and like stretching out and relaxation work because he has a tendency to hollow out and he likes to carry his head high naturally as is. So like putting a horse like him in draw reins and just forcing them to hold it when he's literally got no muscle to do that would ruin him. And a horse like Percy, like, well, he's four and he's jumped like a few times. And a lot of people are showing their four year olds, like, in the young horse classes for three six. And Percy's a very talented jumper. I'm sure he'd easily be able to jump that eventually. But if we rushed him, he would have problems because he gets stressed easily. And if you ruin his faith and trust in certain exercises, I can only imagine how long it would take to fix it after. And I think that can be said, like, especially with the thoroughbreds off the track, people get them and they're already started and they want to show them pretty fast and they'll take them. They won't give them any letdown time. They'll put them in small paddocks away from other horses and then they'll immediately start them in a new program. They'll discipline them when they try to walk away from the mountain block, even though they've always been mounted at the walk. And 
all sorts of other things will start jumping them without proper flat foundation. And they'll get a hot, strung out horse that runs at fences. And then they're like, oh, he needs a bigger bit because he's strong because he's a thoroughbred. And it's like, no, he needs a bigger bit because you didn't train him. And I don't know. I say this a lot about the thoroughbreds because I find people rush them quite a lot. And then they'll blame any of their problems on the breed, which frankly pisses me the fuck off if you can't notice because oh, like thoroughbreds are like honestly the most sensible young horses that I've ever worked with. I would do basically anything with a thoroughbred straight off the track. Like I would trust them doing basically anything compared to like another young horse. Like they could go hack out on roads. They could go on trail rides and they're sensible because they see so much at the track. You just have to be nice to them and do right by them, which a lot of people don't because they're too focused on rushing and Rushing makes it take longer. I think that's the biggest thing to say. The lesson I've learned is all of like all of the setbacks that I've had in riding, a lot of them could have been avoided if I just slowed slowed down and had listened to my horse more and had stopped trying to take shortcuts that were unfair to the horse so that I could ideally get somewhere faster. But the fact of the matter is it didn't even get me anywhere faster because I set the horses back physically and mentally because of how hard I would push them. Like my race horses that I had before I started galloping at the track and really learning about them on the racetrack, they all sucked. They could have been a lot nicer horses than they were, but I rushed and didn't take my time and I caused them to rush at fences and have more problems and just not develop the type of muscle and top line that they needed at that point in their careers. And it's something that I easily could have avoided if I had just slowed down and done it properly. And I would have also gotten somewhere faster if I had started off slower. Like slow and steady in training animals truly does win the race. And like, like we could all benefit from just slowing down and doing right by our horses and really thinking, like think about the mechanics of your equipment and why it works. Like that that's the thing like especially stuff like draw reins and stuff like putting draw reins on and using them doesn't miraculously build that muscle so you need to think when you're using something like that if you're going to use them how long can my horse reasonably carry this position that i'm putting him in is it fair for me to ask him to do this for the full ride when he's not fit when he's a young baby is it fair like does my horse actually enjoy the bit that i'm using or is he softer in it because i've decided to use a harsher bit so that he will soften quicker like bringing it all down to like what we want and what we want to see and then fooling ourselves into believing what we think is true that's one of the biggest problems in horse training because it's all about oh he likes it because he's good no he's being good because if he's not good it's gonna hurt him a lot more if he's not um stop making it about yourself and recognize that your horse doesn't like having a double twisted wire gag bit in his mouth any more than you would enjoy someone like walking up and bitch slapping you for no reason you know you got to like actually look at the mechanics of things. And I think that's the important aspect. And when you're choosing the equipment to use, really consider the mechanics of it. Like if you have a martingale and you have an elevator bit on, you're pulling on the curb and then your horse raises their head and the, the riding martingale is pulling down on the curb. A little bit confusing, conflicting signals. Sorry, not curb, the shank. And con- conflicting signals. And it's just confusing to them. And with the draw reins, like, yeah, you're forcing the horse into a frame, but like reasonably, how long will it take their muscles to fatigue and start being really uncomfortable in that position? Or when you're using a double twisted wire bit, like don't fool yourself into thinking the horse is soft because they like it. They don't like it. They don't. You you they don't enjoy pain. They're not masochistic or kinky like people can be. Like it, just because you might be into pony play doesn't mean your horse is like, oh, yeah, this harsh bit is fantastic. You know, like, don't 
lie to yourself. Think about it from an animal perspective. Horses are flight animals. They're taught to avoid fear and pain and they're also very stoic so they're less likely to allowed you loudly show you when they're in pain especially if when they do they always get punished for it so really consider how the equipment you use works look into it don't just slap a bit on your horse because your trainer said to like actually look into how and why it works before you use it and go oh my god my horse is so soft in it because i would say like 9.9 times out of 10 if you change your bit especially if you're changing it to a stronger version of the bit. But if you change your bit and that's the only thing you've changed and your horse is immediately softer, it's probably because in some way that bit is harsher. And obviously there's exceptions to the rule because some horses anatomically require something a little bit different. Like maybe you had a rubber snaffle that's too thick and then you switch it to a thinner one and your horse is better because it's more comfortable. That's great. But in a lot of other cases, the reason why the horse softens is because it hurts if they don't, especially if it's like such a huge difference that it makes them like, rideable over a course versus not like a lot of the times the bit is switched to benefit solely the rider not the horse because for the horse generally what's most beneficial is physical body work and like work and exercises and stuff that help teach them how to use their body in the way that's most effective to carry a rider and anytime you use bits or other gadgets to try to bully them into doing that you're not training the same correct usage of the back and the hind end that they need to carry you safely without causing damage to their back so overall if you want them to last for a long time and be sound the best way you can do that is really stressing the foundation and getting them to use their back correctly and getting them nice and relaxed when you're riding instead of always carrying tension and being stressed and needing equipment that bullies them into submission rather than gets them relaxed and wanting to submit you know (sighs) yeah it's just it's something that like our whole philosophy in the horse world needs a drastic overhaul because we're so clueless about like how things that we choose to use on the horses might affect them and a lot of times like even if we have a clue that it might be kind of unfair, we reframe it to make it about us. Be like, oh, he likes it. Or like, oh, yeah, like he gets to wear this because he's a dick. And like, it's just, just make it less about yourself and start thinking about, hmm, what is the best way I can produce this horse to actually enjoy this job and not be bitter towards it? Okay, so I did say that that last slide was like to be to finish. The one last thing that I want to talk about that I forgot to was um, training aids like for groundwork predominantly. So we have like stuff like twitches. For those of you who don't know what a twitch is, it's like essentially like a wooden piece that has like a rope on the end or a chain. And then what you'll do is you'll pull the horse's top lip through the rope or the chain and then you twist it until it's tight. And what these are used for is like veterinary procedures. I've seen people use them for clipping, for like shoes and other stuff. And the purpose of them is that they generally subdue the horse because all of their focus goes to the fact like, ow, my lip hurts. And it releases endorphins, which calm them down. So with the twitch, like shocking this might be, I'm not anti-twitch in certain circumstances. For example, if you have a horse that you're trying to get a veterinary procedure done on and it's freaking out and the the vet can't get a needle in it to sedate it, I would be all for twitching that horse. And I think that it would be ignorant and selfish for owners who are typically anti-twitch not to do it in situations like that because then you're putting your vet at risk. And we've had some local vets get seriously injured from cases like that where the horses would either fall down or they 
freaked out. He'll get pinned against walls. Like, it's dangerous for them. So you don't want to endanger your vet. And if it's, like, one of those situations where it's, like, a one-off occurrence just to get, like, a needle in them so you can perform a certain procedure for the vet, that's a lot different. I think people using them on, like, a regular basis to clip their horses instead of just teaching them how to clip better by training them not to be scared of the clippers i think that's extremely lazy and is the incorrect use of the twitch and essentially my views for like lip chains and nose chains and like rope halters and stuff they're about the same like i would say like if you can't lead your horse even at home without a nose chain it might be a good idea to consider why and how you can develop your relationship to be better with the horse so that they're not super flighty and unpredictable with that said i can see why people would lead a stallion with a nose chain as a just in case especially if they're actually breeding like actively breeding um because you never know especially if you're at a busy barn with lots of mares just in case it's more so a safety for the rider as a just in case if the stallion were to try to get loose because you have more control over them if they try with a chain and then if they're not doing anything the chain doesn't go into action so I know for a lot of people they would never want to do that but you also have to consider just from a safety standpoint especially at horse shows like if I had a stallion at a horse show I would probably want to either use a chain or a rope halter just in case even if the stallion always walked with slack in the rope because you could really trust your stallion and like know that he has good manners, but then people could behave like fucking morons around them and set him off by accident. So while you might trust your animal, you can't always trust people. And I would view it as something similar to like walking a dog in a muzzle. Like if you have a reactive dog, even if you're walking somewhere where you like where you know you're not going to let people pet them like for example when I take my dog to horse shows she's usually muzzled because it's happened way too many times where people reach down to pet her and she's scared so she'll get she'll growl at them and she's never bitten anyone but sometimes she'll snap at people um when they try to force themselves on her even though I never let people pet her um so the muzzle in that circumstance is for her safety rather than anyone else's because I know if she ever were to get um provoked by someone and bit down on them it would be her life that would be in danger not the person's um and so it's for her safety so for a stallion i would say it'd be for their safety because if someone decides to be an idiot at a horse show and provokes your stallion and gets them all worked up and then because they're in a flat halter you can't get them like you can't get them relaxed and under control again fast enough, then you would probably be kicking yourself and wanting a chain if it results in the horse getting loose and super injured because of it. So I'd say in those cases where it's like an unpredictable situation that you're going into and you just want to be extra careful, sure. But overall, if it's if it's for regular use, I think it's a band-aid. Like I never, like even when we get horses straight off the track, I don't use chains here. At most, I'll use a rope halter now. I've used chains in the past at horse shows and stuff, but generally speaking, like they're just for show or just in case if I'm leading the horse around for the first time. Like it's not something where it's a crutch that you always need. And I think that's something important to consider with like these types of things. For me personally, I actually like rope halters. I do. I don't trailer in them because it's dangerous if the horse pulls back. I don't like to tie in them unless I'm tying to a breakaway tie. But even if there's a breakaway tie in the trailer, I don't like tying in them. They're too easy to get caught on things. Um, I use one when I'm ponying Banksy usually just in case. He's always been great to pony, but I'm always just like, you know, it would be easier to get him 
under control in a rope halter than in his leather halter, ideally. But with that said, he can also go anywhere in his leather halter. And I personally don't like the four-knot rope halters that have knots all around the nose and the super stiff ones because those ones are pretty harsh. So I don't really use those ones. The one I have is like one of the medium to soft rope halters and it only has two knots on the nose. So generally speaking, it's not super harsh. Like obviously you could misuse it. Um, and it shouldn't necessarily be something where you can't control your horse without having that on. Um, but, like, overall, like, I think I use it pretty responsibly and gently. So, it's not something that I'm super concerned about because I don't view it as a crutch for training. And lip chains, like, these are commonly used on the racehorses. And this is where, like, I wouldn't super agree with, like, everything at the racetrack and the frequency at which they're used. Because I do think in a lot of cases that they're used at the racetrack... Um, they could pretty easily get replaced for something softer if the horses were just managed a little bit better and trained better. But the problem with that is that like the management change requires like compliance by like the race track owners and like management um, because they would need to start to change how they stall horses there and just like the entire setup of North American racetracks because a lot of them require horses to be stalled for several hours a day um, and having that change would require like a rebuild on the part of the track management um, to change their stalls to be more horse friendly and whatnot so that's like a long-term thing. So I can understand when trainers get in horses that are super poorly behaved and the owners of said horses want them to keep running. You don't always have a whole lot of options to like actually train them, especially if they're frustrated from not getting enough turnout and stuff. Um, so for safety's sake, it can be something where people opt for those things, even though it absolutely is a band-aid in the, those situations. Um, a lot of people also will use lift chains in situations where they're deliberately being misused they'll be like shanking on them and being super harsh like a lift chain is basically just a twitch and that's how it should be used like you shouldn't be like yanking on it or like like serrating your horse's gums with it like it's just meant to put pressure on the gums to release those endorphins to help the horse relax but a lot of people will use them harsher than that and like I said it is definitely a band-aid in the sense that there's like most of the horses who do end up getting lip chained at the racetrack I would say down the line they definitely won't need to be handled like that long term because it's just that they're reacting to the environment more so than anything else with that said, most people that I see using at the racetrack are technically using them properly. I just think the frequency at which they're used is largely related to the management of the horses and how we have our modern tracks set up here rather than anything else. And I think if we were to change that, we would see a massive reduction in how often they need to be used. Um, but yeah, most of the horses that I've handled at the racetrack and the trainers I've worked with, it's not something where the horses can't be handled without a lip chain. Like most of them just go around in a nose chain. And for that, I would say it's kind of a similar reason to what I suggested with the stallion is that you're trusting other people around you to have control of their horses and not all of them do. So if someone else's horse starts freaking out, you want to have, be able to get yours under control quickly without having a huge production happen. But like I said, like overall, I would say in most cases that these things are used, they're usually used as band-aids because a lot of people who frequently use twitches and stuff, they're not just using them for vet procedures and other things that they just need to get done. And they're not training in between that to try to stop it from happening again, which I think is one of the problems. But I do think like even people who would never want to use these things themselves I, I do think they should recognize that there are certain circumstances where for their own safety people who don't even necessarily agree with the use of them themselves either they might need to use them um 
And yeah, like for me, like when I get horses off the racetrack who are for sale and I need to get their shoes off because their feet are long and they need to get other race plates or they pull the shoe halfway off. If they're not going to stand for the farrier, I either have to sedate them or lift chain them or twitch them and get it done because I don't have time to train them to stand nicely for the trailer, the train for the farrier in between that, you know, like it's just something where it's like, we got to get this done now because they need it to happen. And then after it's done, I can work on training the horse to get them to be better with it. And then after that, they're usually totally fine at the farrier and they get over it pretty fast. And it's something that get gets worked on after that but there are times where you just need to get something done and you got to handle them in a way that you wouldn't normally like same thing I'll compare it to my dog again she hates getting her nails clipped she's very afraid of the vet um for that reason and we have to muzzle her when she's getting her nails clipped to the vet and then I just basically have to hold her really still and just let them do it and she hates it and it's definitely stressful for her but sometimes her nails get like they grow quite fast and I try to do our sessions in between so that she gets used to having them clipped in a more pleasant way but when she goes into the vet for her vaccines if they're long I just want them done so that she's more comfortable and then I have like a baseline where I can start to work with her paws again after that to get her more used to it in a kinder way and it's not fair to her because it's definitely flooding and stressful to her to cut them like that. But at the same time, it's like a one-off occurrence and I can train more next time to try to make it better for her and then also bring her to the vet for days that aren't appointments so that they can just feed her treats and help her get used to being at the vet clinic. Um so I think like even people who are super anti the use of these types of aversives or punishers that they don't like because yes they do definitely they they use pressure and pain in the same way a twisted wire bit would but I would hope that most people aren't using them as long term as they typically do their show bits and whatnot um or for like as extended periods of time um so yeah like I understand why people don't like the use of them but I also think from like a practical standpoint that people can dislike them while recognizing the fact that it's a pretty bold statement to say under no circumstances should anyone ever use this thing because I would hope even if you're against something if someone else's safety was in line and it was like a one-off thing that you just needed to get done I would hope you'd be willing to do what you needed to do to make sure no one got hurt especially in a veterinary procedure like I, I don't, like I said, I don't like using these things. And lift chains, I can understand how painful they would be, especially when they're misused. So I'm not a fan of them. But at the same time, like I will happily lip chain a horse if it means that the vet isn't going to get kicked in the face or something. And then I can work on whatever the problem is that's causing the horse to be that reactive after the fact. And I would also hope like even people who are super positive in their training and are anti all of these things, I would hope they would understand those areas where it might be necessary for someone to use it in that circumstance. Because unfortunately, like a lot of people just do not either they're not getting paid to train people's horses or they don't have the means to do it before they need to have a certain thing happen to the horse that might require that. Like training doesn't need to happen when you're like either in a rush or trying to do a necessary procedure or like things like you're trying to get a horse shipped to a new home. You don't have time to train it to be like a really good trailering calm horse. So that's where you might use band-aids like tranquilizing it or stuff like that. Um, with that said, like, there is something that, like, people have used to train, like, speaking of lip chains, very, I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface this with, I've not seen this happen frequently at all, it's, they're dev, these people are definitely the minority, and I don't agree with it, this is, like, one of the uses of lip chaining that I don't think is ever used correctly, 
Um, it's called the California lift chain and people will use it to like ride a horse in. And I've had a few like two year olds come in for the racetrack where they were broken one and the owners wanted them to go in one. And actually like me and Janae had one that we did this with like last year. Um, and we had to restart him to the track. Um, and apparently he was really difficult. So they wanted us to ride him in a California lift chain. And we were like, fuck that. Like, that's not going to teach him anything. If he's going out there with a lift chain on, like he's just going to get anxious every time he goes out because it hurts. And then it's not going to solve it because as soon as you need to take it off for a race, then you have this unpredictable wild card of a horse. who's never gone without one. So we didn't use it. And like the first few days, he was definitely harder to handle because he'd never had to have been ridden without it. But he got over it and he was totally fine and went around normally. And I think stuff like that, like there's not really an excuse because if the horse needs a lip chain to be ridden, it's not broke and it's not ready to be ridden. Um, But overall, like I think a lot of those aids, like there's a time and place to use them. But if people are consistently having horses in their barn that need these types of things and they never change it, then they need to start to look at themselves and be like, hmm, what's the issue here? Why am I having such a high instance of this needing to be used? And why are all my horses so stressed or reactive that they're being like this? Um, But I do think like, yeah, people need to recognize when something is being used in a manner that's not super harmful or aversive to the horse because the presence of a chain over their nose or like a rope halter when the person's not pulling on it at all and isn't using and the horse isn't being crazy, like having it there isn't going to mean that the horse is like being like that the the horse is like harder to handle or that the horse is in pain just from having it on there. Like there's no pressure on it. But with that said, like if your horse doesn't need one and it's not being used, then perhaps it doesn't need it on there in the first place. But yeah, I think that the the stuff with like handling on the ground is the one area where I'll say that there are certain isolated circumstances where you might need to do it prior to being able to train them to do it quietly because you might have to rush in that regard, especially if it's not your horse and you have limited resources or you need like a vet procedure done immediately type deal. Um, But yeah, like overall, I think they're predominantly used as a band-aid and people do overuse them and they'll use them because they're afraid of the horse but they want to punish the horse rather than training why the horse is reacting in a certain way um and uh, yeah so that that was kind of a long wraparound way of saying that but it's one of those things where i think that we could definitely do things a bit better and then the use of them would be less necessary than it is currently um But, yeah, it'll take some time for people to get there, I'm sure. But, yeah, I think this has been a really good tack talk. I got one more question that I'll answer really fast. Like, this is the last one, I promise. Um, And it was about racing tack compared to, like, show horse tack. And I would say, as a general rule, I think that race trackers are a lot kinder in the equipment that they use to ride compared to, like, show jumpers and whatnot. Um, it's really uncommon to see racehorses going and stuff like draw reins or tie downs or neck stretchers. Um, usually they're just going in like a regular martingale. And I will say that like for the m- most racetrack owners that I've used, they fit their running martingales so loose. They literally don't do anything. They're just kind of there for looks and they, they think they do something maybe, but like generally speaking, they don't like the horse would basically have to be flipping over for it to go into action. Um, but yeah, they're there as a just in case. And like I said, I don't have a problem with correctly fitted running martingales. And if they're loosely fitted, they don't really uh, like hurt the horse at all anyways. And then the vast majority of racehorses go in like snaffles, um, regular smooth mouth snaffles, typically a single jointed snaffle. They're not 
using the double jointed snaffles very often and i think the main reason for that is just because it's a little bit more traditionalist and older fashioned and the single jointed snaffles are typically the most popular for that um the ring bits that they use that you see that have like a loop coming down from under the bit the ring goes into the mouth um you'll have to look up a photo of it look up racehorse ring bit if you're confused and you'll see what i mean um and then the ring just goes through the mouth and it's just kind of an extra thin piece of metal and all it does is help stop the tongue from going over the bit and it can also help with steering a little bit more but it doesn't add like any more bulk to the horse's mouth because the actual mouthpiece of the snaffle bit like the single jointed one is typically thinner than it would be um for a regular snaffle without the ring so it all evens out and it's not really any harsher than using like a regular single jointed snaffle like I'm sure I could put a ring bit on any of my riding horses and it wouldn't bother them because it's basically the same thing and then you also just have them going in like regular like snaffles without the ring like just a regular single jointed like d-ring or an egg butt sometimes loose rings um sometimes with the french like mouthpieces those are like the most common bits and then for horses that need a little bit more I would say the next most common one would be like a like a elevator bit i've seen a couple of people go in gags but it's really just like one person with like two different horses i've seen a kimberwick on the track once but like honestly overwhelmingly so the horses are going in snaffles and if the horse needs a little bit more what they go to first is just putting on like a regular noseband um not even with a flash and then sometimes they will also use flash nosebands but generally speaking like they use a lot more simplistic tack than we see in like show jumping and whatnot like it's not common to see like all the horses going around with flash nosebands and like um harsher bits and whatnot like usually it's a regular snaffle with no noseband is the most common and then uh or sorry yeah with a ring bit which is essentially a regular snaffle with no noseband and then yeah from there like if they wear a noseband they might be pulling more than other horses and whatnot but like it's usually very very simple tack in comparison so i think comparatively to what i see like on the jumping circuit i like their tack choices quite a bit better in all honesty because it's way softer on the horse and there's more like they recognize like when you bit a horse up it's treated a lot differently like they don't just treat it like okay yeah let's just try this it's like they definitely there's a definitive preference to go in like less less is more um type thing and a lot of trainers don't want their horses bidding up um they would rather just find a rider who can ride them softly and teach them how to soften more so that they're not running off and getting them to relax and whatnot um so it's very different but like as a general rule i have less issues with the tack that they use by far than what i see in like the show horse industry um and the horses typically go quite well in that even though they are taught how to run into the bridle so it's definitely a different type of riding but um they have a way more less is more approach than a lot of other disciplines do which i quite like um so yeah so i i'm more comfortable with their tack choices overall than i would say i am with like show jumping for sure uh and yeah it's a it's a very interesting industry and i think it's largely misunderstood because people just assume things that definitely aren't true for like the average trainer there um and it does the industry itself a disservice because they just assume things that most definitely aren't correct um but yeah like they like soft equipment there and like as a general rule the riders are pretty easy going about like the types of equipment they put on their horses like i'm sure if someone tried to go in one of like the bidding setups with like the gadgets that a lot of the upper level show jumpers like to use like a hack of it combination with ridiculously long shanks or like a double twisted wire gag with like 
a martingale and then a drop nose man and a flash like if you did that out there you would definitely get some looks and people would for sure be talking shit about you after but um <laughs> it's a lot more accepted especially at the upper levels and in, in show jumping and whatnot but yeah it's just more simplistic at the track from what i have noticed personally and I don't know. I think ring bits scare a lot of people that don't know what they are because they see the ring underneath and they're like, what the fuck is that? What's that for? And then they don't necessarily learn what it's actually for and they just assume that it's way harsher when it's not. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of it about the racetrack and I hope that this was educational and like I said, like at the beginning, like I'm not here to hurt people's feelings. These are my opinions. Um, I would strongly encourage everyone to look into the mechanics of like all of the equipment that they use and how it works and be conscious of that. And before you get roped into like bidding a horse up or putting more training gadgets on, really just consider like what will this, how will this act on my horse? Will this force them to use their muscles in a way for longer periods of time that they're, then they'll be comfortable with at this stage in their training? Will this bit just get them to soften because it's harsh? If it does that, is that really helping me because they're only softening because of the pain from the bit? They're not softening because of my training. And just be more considerate of that and stop labeling any changes in your horse's behavior, positive or not, as being their fault rather than yours because a lot of stuff that they do is directly influenced by our training. And we have to hold ourselves a lot more accountable, especially if we love these animals as much as so many of us claim. It's got to be about them and less about our egos. So I hope that this was interesting for you all to listen to. And I really appreciate your support on my podcast. And it's been fun to do. So yeah, let me know what you think. Like share this with your friends if you liked it. And I really appreciate all of your support, you lovely, lovely humans.